Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hi guys, Dr. Santosh here, your friendly neighborhood pediatric infectious disease doc and a researcher. And Santosh, do you know what week this is? Uh, Is it a regular week, Josh? No. Oh, it's not. Is So if it's not a common week i mean there has to be another alternate did somebody say alternate week (laughs) Uh... (laughs) yeah alternate week (laughs) so you remember secret words yeah yeah. (laughs) back in peewee's playhouse oh my gosh this week our secret word is bacteria so every time you home you at Every time you listeners at home hear us say the word bacteria, we want you to throw up your hands in the air and just scream. <laughs> Go on. Give it a try. One, two, three. Bacteria! bacteria. Yay! Huh? And uh, yeah. to aid in this little game, <laughs> we have made it an alternate week, which means it's time for everybody's favorite segment, Journal Club. Woo! Yay! <laughs> that's that was a one-time woo that one is different from the bacteria woo Whoa! so we, we may not started. actually be able to you and i do this because we have to say that word quite often coming up in the next next half hour or hour or so yeah you and i or uti oh because one of the most common urinary tract bacteria ah! <laughs> but one of the most common infections that humans get are urinary tract infections and certainly 
very common in women just from how the anatomy is designed. Yeah, it's a short urethra, and if you irritate or inflame the end of the urethra, essentially, then you slow down the outflow. And anytime, Josh, the the outflow of urine stops, so if you get stasis, then you're going to get a urinary tract infection eventually. So the bacteria are going to hang out, eat all that yummy urea, and then multiply. Now, often, a urinary tract infection can be taken care of with a few short days of antibiotics, three to five. Mm -hmm. However... The most common cause of these infections, the most famed bacteria, ah, <laughs> is E. coli, and it's rapidly developing resistance to most of the antibiotics that are used. Yeah, some, some so, of that's our fault. You know, we're overusing it. Sometimes we overdiagnose a UTI because... You know, we're bad about properly diagnosing abdominal pain in women. So we'll just say, oh, it's a UTI and just give them a fluoroquinolone. And then next thing you know, boom, resistance. But giving an antibiotic after an infection is developed is more reactive. And of course, science is always looking for ways to be more proactive. So in a new study, Researchers have developed a pill-like vaccine for UTIs that dissolves under the tongue. So think about the, I guess, nitro, the nitroglycerin tablets would be the most common. Nitroglycerin, um, ondansetron, which is Zofran, has uh, an ODT, an oral dissolving tablet. And then for our kids, actually, Josh, if they ever need an anti-inflammatory like prednisone, there's a formation. There's a formulation of prednisolone that will dissolve on the tongue. So yeah, we've we've got a few of these. The researchers chose to target three different peptides that are pretty common among a bunch of different bacteria, which they describe as ah as <laughs> yeah, UPEC bacteria, which. I know it says what that stands for, but all I can picture is the urine producing and exporting. (laughs) Anyway, don't mind me. So this is uropathogenic E. coli. So not all E. coli's are going to cause urinary tract infections. There are specific qualities of certain E. coli strains that have more of a propensity to colonize the urinary tract and then cause an infection. So... Anyway, they created a special peptide nanofiber. Mm -hmm. They put it into mice, and they found that the mice who took this sublingual medication had increased antibody responses that bound specifically to pathogenic UPEC. Yeah. So the... This is way, way, way preliminary. It's, It's really cool, but it is... It's it's even before preclinical, Josh, because this is all uh, going on in mice. So you take some peptides. Peptides are short chains of amino acids, which are the building blocks of proteins, right? And they identified, you know, cool little stretches of proteins or peptides that are really unique to UPEX. Okay, so they took each of those, they you know, put them together in a kind of self-assembling structure, okay? And that turned into like the little pill that was the dissolving pill. 
they fed it to the mice. Okay, and then in a after a little bit, they went ahead and um, drew some of the blood to check their antibodies in their bloodstream, and then to test that directly against the E. coli, they just went ahead and and added the serum, which contains the antibodies. So they they spun that out of the mice and put it on a plate on a on a like a little agar plate with bacteria and said, oh, how well does it inhibit the growth of these E. coli? I hate hey, this is pretty darn good. Well, it wasn't just mice they tested it in. Mm. They eventually moved on from making it a droplet to a tablet based uh, to reduce cost because then you don't have to store tablets in cold chain storage. Sure. Mm -hmm. They then tested it on rabbits as their oral cavity is more similar to that of humans. Yeah. I love reading journals, <laughs> Santosh. I really do. Just... Yeah, <laughs> it really is. And they... I, you should try telling that to your wife next time. Oh, baby, your oral yeah. cavity just like a rabbit. <laughs> just... Yeah, that won't get me kicked out or anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, But Josh, actually, if you read the, the real paper in the journal Science, one of the neat things is in figure four, they're showing how they made the tablet and everything else like that. But figure four K, they actually show <laughs> with how the investigators are actually opening up the, the rabbit's mouth <laughs> and putting the tablet underneath the little bunny tongue. <laughs> so that, that that's a real scientific figure is, is a picture of the, the tablet being placed underneath a bunny's tongue. <laughs> Lastly, they tested the dissolving behavior of the tablets in human saliva, not attached to a human, right. but kept at body temperature and found the tablets dissolved in under 20 seconds, which means it could, in th it could in theory, be a viable drug delivery system for a vaccine. Yeah. And again, Josh, there wasn't a fantastic, you know, they didn't have any experimental infections in this case, I don't believe, where they actually, you know, tried to infect the mice and see how often it would prevent uh, an infection from setting up. So these were all kind of uh, circumstantial evidence type of things, which are important, um, but they were showing that, okay, the mice generate this antibody, the rabbits generate this antibody in their bloodstream, um, and they, they look for IgA as well, which is a secreted type of an antibody rather than in, the, in our bloodstream, and they tested all of those, you know, against these pathogenic bacteria, <laughs> ah! And then likewise, they did one last really interesting test to see how the microbiome, which is it's really important, right? Because antibiotics mess around with our anti with our microbiome a ton. But does the vaccine mess with the microbiome the same way that antibiotics do? And it turns out that actually, no, it's actually better to use, you know, uh, this vaccine rather than an antibiotic to, uh, you know, in terms of preserving the microbiome while you're attacking the infection. So I'm excited to see what next, you know, steps that are taken because they've got to actually see, you know, how... Well, worth keeping in mind is this was only done against one specific UPEC strain. Oh, gosh. Isolated from a single individual. So... Yeah. 
not necessarily somebody with recurrent UTIs who would be who stands to be best benefited by this kind of therapy. Yeah, yeah. And only about 80% of pathogenic bacteria are impacted by this developed method of vaccination. So certain other ones like Klebsiella, Proteus and Pseudomonas not as effective. Right. to do. So Yeah. The, this one is very uh it, it's it's really targeted, right? Because they took protein specifically from the uropathogenic E. coli. And so if you tailor a vaccine like that to a specific bacteria, it's not going to be broadly protective the way that an antibiotic broadly kills everything that's under the susceptibility. So moving on to our our next story. Sometimes I like finding journal articles that have kind of very buzzfeedy titles. Okay, fair. And this one sounds just so scandalous and lurid. What if, imagine you're flipping through the Sunday paper, showing exactly how old we are, because who even does... What if you're scrolling through your phone? Mm -hmm. Scientists just caught bacteria using a never-before-seen trick to avoid antibiotics. <coughs> to avoid antibiotics. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is very clickbaity, right? This, it doesn't actually tell you anything that what's actually going on, but it scares the crap out of everybody. Like scientists keep a list of tricks like, ah, 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 bacteria. Ah, I see what you're up to. You've used this trick on us before. Yeah. <laughs> and there's another group going, goodness me, what? Anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Santos, why don't you briefly explain what the main trick that these bacteria ah, yeah. use? <laughs> Somehow it's not getting old. I don't know how. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Josh, you and I use penicillins a lot, right? So we'll use penicillin and ampicillin, amoxicillin, and then we'll use cephalosporins like ceftriaxone. A lot of, you know, organisms die with ceftriaxone. But then you get even worse bacteria that are resistant to those, usually because they've developed something called a beta-lactamase, meaning that they can break apart these antibiotics, literally rip them apart with an enzyme. And now you have to use a different class of antibiotic, which still attacks the cell wall of the bacteria. And this one's called a carbapenem, okay? And now we know that bacteria have had resistance to carbapenems for a really long time. This is a really broad, high-end antibiotic, right? You, you reserve this for really, really resistant bacteria. But, okay, they've developed something called a carbapenemase, and now it's got an enzyme and they can destroy carb carbapenems by breaking them apart and anything like that. But another thing they can do, which is really scary, is they can actually, you know, they, they have their cell wall and that's, then that's covered by an outer membrane, a, a fatty lipid membrane. And they can actually just modify that outer membrane to just stop the molecule from getting to the cell wall at all. And this was the new trick. So what happened was this bacteria was able to take in genes that stopped the the carbapenem from ever crossing 
into you know the outer membrane and then onto the cell wall. So the carbapenems couldn't get even to the place where they were supposed to act. And Josh, when these bacteria were tested, the uh, the bacteria that were resistant here, they were so horribly resistant to these carbapenems, just awful. So think of it this way: this new this new treatment or this new trick is the bacteria basically going into zombie bunker mode, nailing up all the doors and windows yeah. into the cell so nothing can be transported in or out. Mm -hmm. So yes, it does make it harder to get something in to attack it, but it also means that it becomes slightly easier to starve the cell out. <laughs> and this well yeah, no, no, and this important. bears it out. It it ends up growing slower. Yeah. When they looked at it in plates, like if a bacteria is highly drug resistant, it's gonna grow slower, which is something that I guess you could use to identify it, although I don't know if that's gonna be your first line. <laughs> well the interesting thing here, and this has happened before with other bacteria, is that the resistance mechanism in and of itself makes it easier for our immune system to wipe it out and kill it. So it actually becomes less pathogenic. So everything that was tested in this particular paper that we're going to link Actually, the the bacteria needed to be introduced. Ah, sorry. The, they needed to <laughs> they needed to be introduced into the mice that they were experimenting on uh, by actually kind of like squirting it in there, right? Because this wasn't one of those easy bacteria that you. They're not virulent and resistant. They're one or the other. So th there have been other bacteria like this, Josh, where you know, they create a a resistance mechanism, but it stops it from being able to absorb nutrients or it uses up so much energy that it can't grow normally and it gets out-competed. So, you know, this is something that we have to worry about, but maybe, maybe it's okay. <laughs> so... I just like the idea of starving them out. Yeah. Like, you know, we are removing these existing drugs. We're reducing iron levels. Yeah. We're playing very, you know, we'll huff and we'll puff and we'll <laughs> blow your biofilm down. Right, exactly. So as long as we don't do something like, you know, feed it anyway, <laughs> you know, for instance, if we, you know, if it's locked up in an abscess and you don't take the abscess out and it can just happily sit there don't, watching away, that's not good. Don't get it wet. Yeah. <laughs> don't feed it after midnight. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But... Unfortunately, yeah, it, it means that this very broad spectrum antibiotic is no longer useful on this particular strain. Well, comparing to gremlins, there is another another trick <laughs> that they've been using. On, and this one is a little bit scarier, at least based on your reaction when I first told you. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Which is... Most of the time, bacteria need to make their own substances like folate to grow and cause disease. And that's a vitamin that we also need. Mm -hmm. yeah. However, what we've started to see is some streptococcus cells are able to bypass the action of an antibiotic called sulfamethoxazole, which basically blocks the bacteria's ability to, to, to make its own folate. Right, which is... As far as we knew, that was the only mechanism they had to get folate, was to make it out of, uh, you know, building blocks. Yeah. So, you know, along comes sulfamethoxazole mm -hmm. saying, 
Got a nice uh, folate-making material over here. Be a shame if something were to happen to it, and then it kicks over a bunch of chairs and leaves, <laughs> and the bacteria goes out of business. Ah! <laughs> so... That's not screaming for the bacteria going out of That's Yeah, there are. <laughs> yeah, so Josh, very interestingly... We have a folate synthesis pathway too, us humans and actually a lot of uh, eukaryotes also, but we have a separate pathway if we're not able to make our own folate called folate salvage, where we can actually find whole folate molecules and actually transport it into our cells and then bind it up and utilize it that way when we lose our own ability to make folate so that was kind of well we 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 can't actually produce folate santosh we have to get it from our food yeah that's why it's a millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Right, right. Or, but we can, we do have a synthesis where we can get, you know, folate precursors and also make our own folate. But yeah, by and large, we, you know, just have exogenous uptake. Um, but it's what happens that ends up happening is it, that was kind of our kind of secret thing where we could use folate synthesis inhibitors on bacteria and it wouldn't affect us because we can just, you know, take our own folate in and we're like, haha, bacteria, this folate is for us, not for you. And then evidently we were wrong. <laughs> so, uh... Now, when looking at an antibiotic commonly prescribed to treat group A strep skin infections, mm -hmm. researcher Barnett and friends, which is how I like to think of Ed Al, <laughs> yeah, Tim Barnett, uh -huh. found a mechanism where for the first time ever, the bacteria took folate directly from its human host when blocked from producing their own. Ah! So, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and Santos, you should be scared. <laughs> Sorry, I was screaming because the word, but yes, that too. <laughs> so, 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 what happens when you have bacteria ah, take folate directly from the host instead of being able to produce? Well, first off, you bypass these antibiotics' ability to be effective at all. Mm -hmm. But why is that? Why is that so concerning? So, you have uh, and. You know, so let me break it down. If anybody's ever heard of Bactrim, you know, that's that's trimethoprim and sulfamethoxazole, super, super, super common 
antibiotic that's used, and especially Josh for MRSA, right? For methicillin resistant Staph aureus, one of the big scary ones. And we, we have this antibiotic in our back pocket all the time because it is super, super useful, very broad spectrum. And if you start to get resistant to it, you're kind of in a bad, scary place. So the, the bacteria we thought has to make its own folate through an enzymatic pathway. So if you use this combination of trimethoprim and sulfamethoxazole, you block two of the steps in the pathway and bacteria say, oh, I can't make any more folate. It needs folate in order to live. The bacteria dies, we get better, right? But now if it can just salvage folate, meaning that it can just get folate from the environment and then pull it into the cell and utilize it, then it doesn't need this enzyme pathway anyway. So you're blocking the enzyme pathway and the bacteria goes, eh, I don't need it. Go ahead. Yeah. Take my folate. See what I... No, no, no. Take, see take, if I take care. my enzyme. <laughs> yeah, take my enzyme. See if I care. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really scary. And, you know, this whole time we were really, really dependent on the fact that the bacteria was not able to salvage exogenous ah. folate. <laughs> it was not able to salvage exogenous folate in order for this antibiotic to work. So... We're not completely hosed, but if other bacteria figure this out, meaning if group A strep shares this particular resistance marker, um, you know, this mechanism with other bacteria with on like a plasmid or something, then... Yeah, because they swap those things around like Pokemon yeah, cards. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's bacteria boning. Let's not, you know... They're, they got to do their thing too, but uh, yeah, if antibacterial plasmid, I choose you. Yeah. <laughs> You're being very like childish and sweet about this and talking about Pokemon. Huh. I'm just talking about like bacteria humping. Yeah. So... <laughs> it's a family show. Santosh. I'm sorry. I guess. Since Is when? it? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, it, this, this is a scary thing. If more bacteria acquire this ability, then we may entirely lose this class of antibiotic, like just gone, gone. So we'll have to see what ends up happening, but that's two for the price of one, yeah. two new tricks being used. Uh, one at least, which opens up new methods of treatment. But yeah, if they can start taking things from our bodies, that sort of that begins to turn them into a classification, or that begins to change their classification from bacteria ah <laughs> to parasites. <laughs> well, it's interesting. We use the term parasites all the time, and usually we think of like larger organisms. But parasitism is anything where one organism is stealing from another or dependent on another wholly in order to live. So in this particular case, not really, Josh, because um, it, it can actually make its own folate still if, if you took the antibiotic away. But the truth of the matter is, is that these little guys are parasitic anyway. You know, they're feeding off of us. And, you know, we're technically an environment to them when they take up residence and, and their infection. And in fact, even viruses, right, little teeny tiny viruses, the way we classify them is called an obligate intracellular parasite because it lives off of our cellular machinery. 
So yes, absolutely. They are parasitic. Um, but no, they haven't changed kingdom or anything like that. They're, they're still bacteriaceae. Well, moving on to our, our next story, which is also, again, I think very sweet, mm. or at least starts out that way. <laughs> okay. Did you ever... Were you ever into origami as a kid, Santos? Origami. I uh, no. I tried it a couple of times. I actually have this really cool story that I tell that starts out with a newspaper, and then it gets folded up into a hat, and then a life jacket, and then a boat. No, no, a boat, and then a life jacket. Uh, it's a really, really cool like folded paper story that you can tell. But I was never good enough to do like the really cool, you know, crane. I could barely make a crane, and I made one or two ninja stars, oh, and yeah. then that was. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, sorry, I made the ninja stars all the time. I don't know if that counts. Well, I mean, that's it. Origami for me was a low key weapon. Oh. <laughs> okay. But. But it's much higher key when you make it out of DNA. Oh, okay. And in this study, tiny devices made from intricately folded DNA strands mm -hmm. were found to boost the potency of antibiotics by helping to bring individual molecules into direct contact. So basically, it customizes the folds. You make little nanobots mm -hmm. of DNA origami, <laughs> DNA. DNRagami? DNRagami, yeah, absolutely. Sure, that's fair. So when tested on two different kinds of bacteria by researcher Joanna Mella at the University of Cambridge, mm -hmm. the newly folded DNA slowed the growth rate, which could be directed against any kind of microbe, regardless of resistance. Yep. Yeah, that's kind of the neat thing here, is that you could, you could basically tailor-make what you strap on to the DNA scaffold. So it doesn't have to be the same thing every time. Um, and you you can basically use the scaffold as your delivery system and then load it with cargo. Mela's team combined both of these functions, the ability to be folded into complex structures and the ability to have the exact shape needed to find and bind to other molecules, the lock and key mechanism. And she loaded it with two molecules of lysozyme, which is an antibacterial compound that shreds cells found in body fluids such as tears. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Your tears are deadly yeah. to bacteria. <laughs> so you have to be a little bit careful with lysozyme, right? Because it's very broad. <laughs> you were going to say with tears. No, no. <laughs> you can't just be crying anywhere. <laughs> Who knows what could happen? No, no. It's it's a very broadly acting enzyme, right? It, it doesn't really discriminate. It just finds its substrate and rips it apart. And it just so happens that you know, it can target lots of, you know, it's, it's substrate on bacterial cells. So it works really, really well. But the question of whether it will work in vivo, right, in a living organism without killing the organism is a different question. Well, as part of the design, they uh, made a little plate that had a bunch of odds and ends of pieces of E. coli or Bacillus subtilis, which are common infections mm -hmm. and they surrounded those with a couple molecules of lysozyme and the idea is that when you release these platforms into a culture or into the bloodstream the platforms will lock on to the bacteria like little hooks mm -hmm. hold them close to the lysozyme which will then start shredding the cells 
Yeah, so the the DNA scaffold forms this structure that uh, DNA is really sticky. That's kind of the neat thing about it. Um, is basically after they form the frames and you're able to latch on the lysozyme to it, now the DNA, you know, these, these chips essentially that they're making out of DNA are much more likely to stick onto the bacteria. So instead of, ah. yeah, <laughs> so instead of the lysozyme having to go and find its target, you know, just chemically, just, you know, by diffusion or something like that, you're kind of directing the action of that enzyme by using something, a polymer that's going to go and stick right on there. In this case, the, the DNA. So kind of neat, right? So not being used for information like we think of DNA, but it's now being used as like a, you know, kind of like a, a, a cargo carrier. Pretty neat. Yeah, it's so neat. Now you found a couple other studies about nanotech or DNR gummy. Yeah, yeah. This was, you know, this particular one with uh, Dr. Mella et al. was, you know, all the way back in 2020. But since then, um, you know, they've actually, there's been several more papers that have been done in China uh, and across the world that actually use the same, you know, DNA origami structures uh, in order to, um, you know, either deliver antimicrobials if you needed to, or Josh, in some cases, um, they actually used it for actual research. So you could use it to target something like a fluorophore, um, which is, you know, a, a fluorescent particle so that you could tag a bacteria ah, uh, or, or any other uh, target that you wanted to that the, that the DNA would kind of go stick to um, according to what, you know, the DNA aptamer was folded and what payload you put on there. So it's it's a really cool, like all round neat tool that's used to target uh, bacteria, ARG. And uh, I think, you know, it, this might be a piece of technology that finds its niche somewhere in the future if we can get it to work really well in human beings, which we haven't done. Now, I know we focused a lot of this episode around the new ways it's finding to avoid treatment and become resistant, but there's one other thing that bacteria can do. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> okay. They're electric. So, hear me out. All right, all right. Hear me yeah. out. A major issue that prevents us from using a lot more nanobots and machines, as well as cameras, uh, at least inside the human body, is that we don't have any way to power them. You know, we don't have batteries because, well, let's face it, most of them are composed of things like lead, manganese, nickel, stuff that you don't really want to swallow and have floating around inside you. Yeah. At least not for a prolonged period. But... A team of researchers at Binghamton University has developed an ingestible biobattery aimed to power medical equipment deployed in hard-to-reach parts of the small intestine. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, this is always this is always a problem. We want to look for pathology, you know, in the jejunum, in the ileum 
these, these are the, the more distal parts of the small intestine past the duodenum, which is the very first segment that comes off of your stomach. But we don't have endoscopes that long, Josh. And even if we did, it's really hard to push them through there and scope without causing trauma. Now, we do have the good old pill cam, which we've talked about in the past, right? You can swallow the pill and then it can go down <laughs> and take pictures as it's kind of floating down the river of your intestines. But but again, the battery on that will eventually wear out. And, and you have to poop it out. And, you know, it's then it's done. It's gone. well, this this is not going to fix that problem, okay. but it will say how long it can afford to stay in your system. OK, because it it comprises it is comprised of inactive bacillus subtilis. Okay. So remember that same one we saw for the other nanomachines yeah. being tested. And, and bacillus, com- by the way, is a commensal intestinal organism. Right. So it, it lives there anyway. It's not going to be like thrown out by the body. So it's inactive spores of bacillus that activate as soon as they reach the small intestine based on the pH and then start producing small amounts of electricity as they go about their day-to-day bacterial life. Ah! (laughs) So they're put in this pH-sensitive case and it gets down, you know, so when you swallow it, nothing happens, no worries. It reaches the stomach where the pH suddenly drops and then when it gets to the intestine, around a pH of six, Mm -hmm. it will activate the spores and they will start metabolizing and they're all self-contained. And as you mentioned, commensural, so they're not going to infect you even if they do get loose. And now you can power your device as it chugs along through the intestine and it can operate for much longer, like uh, Matt Damon in The Martian. Sweet. (laughs) That's so good. Yeah, I absolutely love this. Uh, you know, living bacteria, <laughs> living, sorry, living batteries, I should say. Ah, sorry, I forgot that one. But yeah, li- living batteries. And, you know, this isn't at all out of left field or anything like that. We've got, you know, electric eels and coffin rays and all these other amazing organisms that actually have their own uh, voltaic piles and stuff like that, you know, cells that can carry a charge and, and, you know, propagate a charge. So I absolutely... And now we can use them to power our medical devices. Yeah, and... Think of the possibilities. <laughs> but it would be so cool if this turned into like batteries of the future, right? Living batteries, instead of having to dig up like toxic chemicals from the earth and then, you know, bacteria, the, our batteries run out and you have to throw them away and all this kind of other stuff. So... Yeah, it's it's can be. You just grab a container of yogurt. Yeah. And say, <laughs> and then yeah, exactly. Now I don't know how much power it can put out. That's the only issue. Um, you know, it, it it really could be that uh, you've got you know enough power for like that pill cam or something like that for some period of time, but not enough for you know, uh, you know something like a cell phone. <laughs> well we'll have to see what kind of things it can power but the pill cam i think is a safe bet yeah. uh, however that is it for this week how many times did we say bacteria yeah. ah and how many times did we forget to scream <laughs> yeah send us a count and we'll send you uh oh we've got pins now
We do. Yeah, yeah. We have prizes. <laughs> Let us know on the social meets. Is that what the kids are calling no, it these I days? Just, the social meets. The social no, so- meets. <laughs> no. Yeah. Not the Arby. Um, I called it. <laughs> I call the internet the Arby's because it's where people have, you know, the meats, <laughs> like the meat, the meat ups. Yeah, meats. Oh, very good. <laughs> None of this is going to catch on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's it for this week. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. Gosh. This stop. show is produced by me. Stop trying to make with Arby's. With a lot of help. <laughs> stop trying to make it a thing. <laughs> this show is produced by me with a moderate amount of help from Santosh. <laughs> yeah. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with links for further reading. And until next time, as always, keep soap on your hands, a song in your heart, a shot in your arm. When you've done all those things, find somewhere interesting to go. Get out there and uh, happy travels. Bacteria! What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.